she says, why would you want to even invest any time or anything in me because I'm not a good person. And I said, who told you you weren't a good person? And he goes, everybody tells me I'm not a good person. And that's why I do what I do because I want to prove to them I'm not a good person. And we began to talk in session after session and I was giving him some of the interventions through our guide tree. And he's like, nobody's ever taken this kind of time with me or given me even just a chance. And here you are. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stronger Than You Think, a podcast by Youth Villages, and I'm your host, Sam Coates. In each episode, you'll hear a story of passion and resilience from an employee of Youth Villages, one of the top children's behavioral and mental health organizations in the country. Children with emotional and behavioral challenges and their families face unimaginably difficult circumstances, and it takes a committed, well-trained, and supported person to show up for these children and youth every day to help them find their path to well-being. Join us to hear from individuals as those on the front lines of this work as they talk about their career journeys and how their own personal experiences fuel their passion, making a difference every day. Our guest today is Mary Byers, who works for Memphis Allies and Intercept. Youth Villages launched Memphis Allies, an initiative designed to bring together community groups and resources to reduce gun violence and homicides so that children, families, and our city can thrive. Over the next four years, Memphis Allies will work with more than 2,000 youth and adults at highest risk of committing or being victims of gun violence. Intercept is a nationally recognized evidence-based comprehensive in-home services model that meets children and families at a critical crossroads and helps them find their way to well-being. It keeps families together and has been found to reduce child welfare placement and speed permanency. Mary, it's great to be with you. Thank you. It's great to be here. What's it feel like to have your own podcast interview? I'm feeling like a celebrity right now. (laughs) You should. (laughs) So you've lived in seven states, right? Correct. When you think about all the places you've been where you've lived close to 40 years of your career, what are the, some of the things that you've experienced and that you see that will not change with this work that you do? What I've seen everywhere I've ever lived is that there's always a need for someone to help someone else along the way. Because I don't care what state I've lived in, people live in poverty, there's crime, so there's mental health. Every state I've ever lived in. So the commonality, when you're in social work, I don't care where you go, you're going to be needed. And you grew up, your father was a Baptist minister, correct? Correct. And you had nine siblings? I I had 10 siblings. Okay. 10 siblings, six brothers, four sisters. And your father and mother, they took children in when you were growing up. Is that true? That's true. Uh, When I was growing up, there was a foster home that was not far from where we lived. And you know, when it come holidays, weekends, some kids, some kids had families to go to to visit. Well, kids who didn't have anywhere to go, even though there was all of us, my mom and dad would invite them over for the weekends, holidays, just meals, and they, whatever they would do for me and my siblings, they would do for them as well. We got shoes, they would buy them shoes. We got an outfit, they was going to buy them an outfit. Really? Yes. Treated everybody the same. That's correct. Did you ever get frustrated where you felt that, why are my parents spending so much time and energy on children other than us? 
No, I guess it's crazy. I never felt that. I never felt, and I, I guess it's just because of the way they raised us. Because all I ever knew is that, you know, we shared our parents with everybody from long as I can remember. And so I never had that feeling. And I don't know if it came from us being such a large family. And we're a very close-knit family, even to this day. All of my siblings, we communicate every single day. Really? Yes. That's a lot of text we're in a messages. Group, we're in a group text. <laughs> We're in a group text, and then if uh, you want to talk to somebody else about something that you don't want the others, then you just pick up the phone and call them. But to this day, we all communicate. Uh, I have three siblings that died of cancer. Um, I'm sorry. But the rest of us, we're still in that group text, and we communicate every day. What made you all close? My mom and dad have always told us, you know, we're siblings. You love one another. You love on one another, and you look after one another. And I think with the, you know, the older ones would always take care of the younger ones when my parents worked. And so it's kind of like you were their parent because you were the older one. And even when it came to the discipline, we, we, we disciplined our younger siblings. <laughs> really? You had the empowerment <laughs> to take care of business? <laughs> yes, yes. And so I just think through that interaction of just looking after one another, having to cook for one another, you know, bathe one another— washed clothes for one another. I think that just brought that bond together. And like I say, my mom and dad preached to you, you love one another. You don't fight with one another. Y'all are going to get along. And we used to laugh about it because if we would get in an argument or something, our parents would make us sit and hug each other and <laughs> and sit there and just, or hold hands until we so weren't it, mad anymore. It was modeled. Yes, it was. I read that you knew from a young age that you wanted to help others that were in need. Is that true? Did I read that right? That's so true. Uh, when I was in middle school, I'll never forget, I was in seventh grade. And I can remember saying to my teacher, I want to be a social worker when I grow up. And she's like, social worker? I said, yeah. She, and, and she went into that. Why you want to be a social worker? And I went into the story about how my parents would get the children from the children's home. And I had met social workers that were over there. And I would always ask them, you know, how, how do you get to do this job? Because I looked at them as people that were helping other people in need. And so I wanted to be someone who helped someone else along the way. What about your brothers and sisters? What, uh, did they have a similar path? Not so much social work, but uh, coaching. Some of them went into coaching. Like high school high and college? School, high school and college coaching. I uh, had a brother coach at Brown University for 14 years, and then he decided he wanted to go back and coach Texas high school football oh, wow. because they all played Texas the high school deal. football. And you know Texas high school football, that's a big thing. Yes. And Were you an athlete? I was. What did you play? I played basketball, and I ran track, and I went to made it to the 1984 Olympic trials in both the two and the 400 meters. Mary, why are you holding this back? <laughs> I don't know. I missed making the team by a tenth of a second. That is wild. In the 400. That is wild. What I'm hearing you say is your parents, they showed you love. They showed your siblings love mm -hmm. from an early age. They yes. also, they did things, they made choices on their end to sacrifice their own convenience to serve others in the community. That's correct. Went on the holidays or, you know, whenever people were kind of went home for the weekend or went home for the holiday and people didn't have a place to go, mm -hmm. even though they had... 10 kids, mm -hmm. they want to do whatever they could to take care of those children. Is that, that, is that right? That's correct. And so you saw that, and your family saw that, and it just created and molded all of your siblings in a way to really try to think about how you can serve others pretty much for your entire career. 
all my life. Sheesh. So I know you talked about how it left an imprint, a strong impression on you, but why social work specifically? Because in social work, I felt like, you know, if you can catch families and kids, it, it, it would impact more than just like one family. Like if I went into social work, I could impact other families too, not in my whole community, in my community. I could, I could help like more than just one, one family or one set of kids or siblings. But if I went into social work, then they would give me a caseload and I, could, I felt like I could impact more people. There was a multiplier effect to it. Mm-hmm. You saw that at a young age. Yeah, I did. I did. I was not thinking like that <laughs> when I was that age. I'm telling you, my, my siblings will tell you from the time I was in middle school, seventh grade, uh, and I say that just, that just stuck with me. And I think because that year, that was the first time I had a close-up experience with someone in foster care. And when I had that close experience with her, because she went to my school and she played on my basketball team, and we were the only two African-Americans at the school. And so I seen what she was going through, and I thought, man, you know, this young lady here, me and her became very close. She was your best friend. She was my best friend. And she was going through the foster system. She's going through the foster system. So you knew exactly what, as much as you could. Yes, yes, yes. And the, I seen the struggles she had, the cry, you know, the crying and the missing family and wishing she could be in my shoes. And I'm thinking, how can I make your life better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this will be sent out publicly and privately. So let's say where we're at right now in this point in the conversation. Okay. Let's say your own story, it's resonating with somebody mm-hmm. that has a heartbeat similar to the way that yours is. And let's say they might be looking at college or they might be figuring out what they're going to do for their career. What advice can you share or are you willing to share about the best way to approach a career or a life of service similar to the way that you have you know, when things can maybe seem confusing or you might not know necessarily the right steps along the way? I would encourage them to, first off, be passionate. You have to be passionate and caring. And you have to have an open heart, be willing to whatever it's going to take. And when I, when I say be willing to do whatever it's going to take, in other words, if you want to go down this path, interview someone that's been there and see what their life experiences have been. Research what it takes to become a social worker. Like, what kind of degree do you need? How long will it take me? What kind of money do you get? Because one thing about social work, I found up front, is you don't do it because you're going to get paid. You do it because you love it, and you want to make a difference. Yes, it pays the bills, but if you want to get rich, (laughs) that's not the line of work to go into. So you have to go into it understanding that, Yes, your needs and basic stuff is going to be met, but you have to go into it passionate about what you're going to do, that you want to really make a difference in the lives of others, and you want to see your community, because if you make the difference in the lives of others, then your community then is going to just blossom. Before we started recording, you were talking about your husband. Mm -hmm. You talked about all the states you have lived in. You talked about your children. You talked about your grandchildren, Mm -hmm. and... Even like this morning, I've kind of been wrapping my head around who I was going to be with and what my week looked like. And there were some things that I was reading and it just sat on me in a very heavy way. And I'm not doing nearly anything to what you do and how you spend your career. 
you and all the other 3,600 people here and everyone else around the country and other organizations and other fields. But how have you lived your life in a way to where it hasn't taken such a toll on you personally to where you've still been able to have a thriving family and still have passion this many decades in, but to where you seem as an individual very healthy yourself? You find that balance. You have to find balance between work and uh, your family. I mean, you have to know where to draw the line. And yes, I'm passionate about my families and the people I work with. And I, I'm one of those who will go above and beyond the call of duty. But then I also know that I have to find balance. And in finding my balance, I work out daily. I meditate. I pray. I rely on my higher power, which is Jesus Christ. We do family events. And I make sure I make time for family because if I can't make time for my family and be healthy on that side, I definitely can't help somebody out in the community if I'm not taking care of home first. And that's one thing my parents instilled in me too. You have to take care of home first. And then if you take care of home, all the rest will fall right into place. When did you know that? I probably didn't know that until after having children and them getting a little bit older. I mean, it had been preached to me all along. I never understood it. You felt like you hit a breaking point in your own way? Yes, yes. I I had to hit that breaking point whenever, uh, you know, my kids would always say, well, you're always looking after them other kids, and what about us? And so that was my breaking point. Really? Yeah. So what I asked you earlier about your parents, Mm -hmm. you said that you didn't feel that way because of— Nope. But you're saying your own kids felt that way. That's correct. And that helped you kind of made things shake out. Refocus. Mm. Refocus. And remember that teaching. Take care of home first. Right. And then the other will fall in place. What's it feel like this stage of your life to think back about the decades that you've spent with your career? It it doesn't sound like you're slowing down anytime soon. And to think about the impact and to think about all the men and women that you met, the children, the families. What's it like living with the career like you've had? I tell you what, it's sure is satisfying. And I thank God every day that he allowed me to go down this path because I still get phone calls, texts from kids that I work with in foster care back in the 90s and, you know, 2000. And just to see them where they are today and say that I played a part in that, that's what keeps me going. It keeps me going. It keeps me thriving. And it makes me even want to do more for the next one. Because I know that, no, I didn't save everyone that I came in contact with or put them on the right path. But the ones that did go on the right path that reached back out to me, that gives me that fuel just to go just a little bit more. A changed life. Yes. Because I see them married. They have children. and Their life's on a totally different trajectory. Totally different path. Totally different path. When you walk into a room and you see a child or you see a family, what do you see that maybe others might overlook? I see that there's a loving parent that maybe under different circumstances would be in a whole different mind frame and mindset if given the opportunity and given the tools needed. Uh, I see children who love their parents, and I see parents who want the best for their children. You see that in every situation? I don't care who it is, who I come across. I know that that parent loves their child and they do want what's best for their child, but sometimes they just, because of the way they were raised, they just don't know. They just don't know and they don't know how to express it or show it. 
but it's there. So you believe there's always a chance? There's oh, always, yes, there's always a chance. So it doesn't matter what's going on. You feel like if the right things happen. Put in the right situation, the right supports, they can succeed. Was there a point in your life that you can think about that might have been a big shift or catalyst for you where you actually started to feel and see that your, your work was making a difference, an impact? Yes, I, I've seen it. There's so many stories I could tell, but there's some that just really stick out. You know how you have that certain yes, kid who really sticks out? And, and I had a young man that had been involved in gangs, selling drugs, dropped out of school. Like, society would have thrown him away. Society, well, society had thrown him away in his own words. He says his own mama, his grandmama, society, and I get emotional. Yes, ma'am. When I talk about him, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I just get emotional when I talk about him because he was one of those kids. He said, he told me, he says, Miss Mary, you know, I'm going to be dead before I'm 25. He told you that? He told me that. He told me he was going to be dead before he's 25. What, what year he was, was this? He was 17. This is when I was with Youth Villages, when I started, when I first started with Youth Villages. And he told me, he says, I'll be dead before I'm 25. My mama don't want me. My grandma just let me stay here so I don't be on the streets. He says, why would you want to even invest any time or anything in me? Because I'm not a good person. And I said, who told you you weren't a good person? And he goes, everybody tells me I'm not a good person. And that's why I do what I do, because I don't prove to them I'm not a good person. And we began to talk, and session after session, we would talk, and I was giving him some of the interventions through our guide tree. And he's like, nobody's ever taken this kind of time with me or given me even just a chance. And he says, and here you are. And then we began to talk about, so what is it you want out of life? He goes, I want to graduate from high school. I want to get a diploma uh, or something. How you long know. after you met him did he start telling you that? Probably about a month into it. Okay. And he began to share those stories with me. And then, so after we start talking, I say, well, so you say you want to get in school? We're going to get you in school. Everywhere we turned, we hit a brick wall because he had been put out of every school. They wouldn't let him go anywhere because he had committed so many crimes. And they, they wouldn't let, I mean, we was hitting walls right and left. And I said, well, what about, would you be interested in a GED since you can't go to a regular school? He goes, Miss Byers, I'm going to tell you at this point, if I can even get a GED, I would be happy. And so we start working on that. And we ended up getting him into a GED program where he started working on his GED. He got him a job and he started working on his job. And then as the time rolled on, you know, it was time for me to discharge him. And so, but when I discharged him, he was still working on his GED. And then he was uh, still working on his job. And from what I understand from his mom, he did get his GED. He ended up changing jobs, but after getting his GED and changing his jobs and stuff, she shared with me, and this is the part that just gets to me, a kid who wanted to change his life and then ended up losing his life after going through all that, getting on track, getting things in order. And his mother called me November last year to let me know that one of his friends had set him up because, you know, they get jealous when you're not wanting to go their route, and had set him up, and he had been murdered. And, and this is a kid who went from down here 
to like, I can't believe Ms. Byers. He would always want to share with me his assignments, what he had done. If I gave him an intervention, he wanted me to know he had practiced that intervention that week. And, and that's a kid that had been thrown away. And he felt your love. And all he needed was somebody to show him somebody was interested in what he was going through. And so he broke the narrative in his head when he felt your love and then you were consistent for him. Mm-hmm. And he was a completely different person. <laughs> yeah. But his mom had accepted him back in the home because she said he was a different kid. <laughs> different young man, not kid, but he was a different a young, young man. man. And, and she said she's seen the difference. And so he got to go back home to his home. Yeah, she said he was doing so good and working his job. And she was so proud of him. If I can ask, and I, I, I'll skip it if we need to, but I mean, what do you do when you get that call? And it's crazy. When I got the call, I was at my dad's funeral. <laughs> we was there to bury my dad and, uh, when I got the call. And so when I shared share with her, and so I just processed with her, and we talked about how wonderful, you know, his, his change in his life and how positive it was now and tried to encourage her that, but look, look at the relationship you guys had in, in, you know, at the time of his death. Look at that relationship. Is there somebody that you can think of that went through somewhat of a similar experience, but that you still know where they're at today? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you know, you can kind of see the impact and how it plays out still to present day? Mm-hmm. Uh, not here at Youth Village, I mean, because now being a supervisor, I don't have the caseloads anymore. But, uh, and so I don't know where some of those kids are, but some kids I've worked with in the past. Yes, I see some kids. Well, I won't say that because I do see a young lady who uh, decided she wanted to get into nursing school and, you know, it'll be a process, but she did everything she needed to. The ACT studied and had, she said she'll be the first one in her family going to college. And so she and I, we went through the SMART goals, and that's when she identified that nursing was what she wanted to do. And so we took the steps for her to get, uh, because she didn't know about ACT, SAT tests, none of that stuff. And so she learned about all of that. She learned about grants and how you can apply for a grant and get a grant to go to school and was able to do all that and then get into school. So, and I just keep praying that Lord let her finish and, and it'll be on up the road uh, because that just happened this year. I mean, you said some of this before that the story before her, but I guess your hope your courage and your viewpoint on life gives you hope and gives you motivation even when mm-hmm. things that you invest so much time and energy into mm-hmm. and you develop a love for somebody when it doesn't work out the way that you want. So if I'm hearing you correctly, A, you go into every situation, every setting of meeting someone where you always know there's a way. That's correct. And you always want to show the person that you love them and you care for them. That's correct. And you're consistent with them. Mm-hmm. And then B, even when things don't, work out the way that you want or what you're putting all that drive and energy into, you grieve it, but then you also know that, you know, that it doesn't always have to be that way. Is that fair? That's fair. What's it been like for you? Seems like having so much energy and drive with what you do, but then also your career is just diverse. You're very skilled. You're skilled in a lot of different areas. I mean, we didn't even mention that you graduated from law enforcement at age 54. Correct. What's it been like for you to go from having so much personal uh, relationship and 
contact with a, a child or with a family and then go to a, a leadership role. Is that hard? It is because, you know, you still want that connection with the families. And so I love that we get to do field visits because then I get to get that connection again. Because it, it's hard when, you, when you're right there, you know, direct care with them. And then all of a sudden that goes away and now you don't get to see them, but now and then, so you don't really get to be in there in the trenches following the family, but you get to lead in following that family. So yes, I still get to see those success stories and through, you know, our uh, consults and stuff like that, get to keep up with the family and stuff like that. So it's still, you know, feeling because I get to still see progress. Is it just a conscious choice you have to make and know that when you're, when you are doing that, you're doing it to help train and to raise up others, to help help the organization itself? Is it just something you have to mentally kind of wrap your head around? Yeah, because, and I get excited with my, with the, the people that I supervise when uh, we talk about an intervention and for them to go try with the family and then they try the intervention and then it actually works and then they come back and give me progress. I'm like, whoo, yeah, you know, <laughs> whoo, another one. Yeah. <laughs> another one for the team. Yeah. You just feel like you're contributing yeah. to more people, mm-hmm. similar to the way that maybe you thought about social services at a young age. Yes. Yes. How'd you get to Youth Villages? When my husband, he, my husband actually came to Memphis a year before me because he took a job with uh, Cumulus Media. Yes, Well, ma'am. he worked for them already, but uh, he had worked for them already. But they had said they kind of use him like the troubleshooter uh, when the station's kind of struggling and they know that he's real strong in what he does. Right. And so— So uh, what you're saying, you and your husband are both slackers. <laughs> 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 you're a power couple. Hey, somebody just said to that to us on Sunday. Uh, they said, y'all are a power couple. It feels and like now it to you me. said it, yeah. so that's confirmation. Hey, it might be a sign. <laughs> and, and so uh, he said, okay, I'll go out and he interviewed and he took the job. Long story short, he took the job. But I only had a year left that I could retire with the sheriff's office and to not lose my retirement. And I was like, well, I don't want to lose my retirement. So I stayed out there a year and was just coming back and forth, uh, you know, on weekends. And uh then I moved, when I moved here in 2019, I was going to be retired. But after about two months of sitting at home, I was like, this is not for me. I got too much energy. I got too much of stuff I want to do. <laughs> and we had already talked about when we moved to Memphis, maybe I could go back to social work. And I started reading up on the social service agencies in town. And I used to work for Casey Family Program. So when I read that stuff about youth villages, I was like, man, this is right up my alley. You know, their mission, their values that they were stating. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to apply. And so I had worked foster care. And so I applied for foster care, but I didn't get a job in foster care. They called me back and said that position had been filled, but asked me if I would be interested in an in-home service position. And I was like, well, yeah, shoot, that'll get my foot in the door. And they hired me part-time. And about two weeks after, they was like, do you want to go (laughs) full-time? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I went for it. They didn't know what they were getting. And Yeah, no, they didn't. (laughs) They didn't. And then the rest is history. So you talked about the approach. You talked about Casey Family. Is that right? Yes, I've worked for them for 10 years. And we've talked about you've been in seven states. You've had a career close to 40 years serving other people. But you were talking about the mission, the values, the way the work is done, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of experience. Can you maybe elaborate on that? And what, you, like, what did you look for to what did you see from an impact standpoint that you were attracted? Okay, when when that 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 statement when they were talking about kids do well if they can, 
that statement hit me and about wanting to help families to live successful in their community, those statements hit me because it's like, that's what I want to do. Because most people think kids, when they talk about how uh, kids just act up because they want to act up and all that kind of stuff and don't really understand. And I want to be one of those who help others understand that, yes, kids do well if they can. And if I can be one of the messengers out there to help get that message across to parents, to teachers, to other community people, then I wanted to do that. And that, and like I say, that drew me in, that sucked me in, and, and, and wanting to help families live successful in their community by helping them with resources, connecting them with resources, help teaching parents how to be parents. And I always go into parents and like, I'm not saying you're not a good parent, but what you're trying has it worked for you? When they say no, I was like, well, how about, can we just try some of this stuff over here then? And, uh, and the first thing, especially with African-American families, the first thing they say, my kid's not crazy. I'm not crazy. I know how to parent and this and that. And then just sympathizing with them, empathizing with them, let them know, I understand where you're coming from, but how about we try some of this? And if it don't work, how about we try to go back? Then maybe we can go back to another route or we can talk about it. And when you get them hooked like that, and when they start trying those different things and they like clicks on, it's like, I never even thought about it. I, and they'll tell me a lot of times, I never thought this stuff would work. There's because trust. I always thought it was uh, the, the stigma behind seeing a counselor and that. And when you can get parents past that, then you've got them hooked. And they trust you. Yes. Build that trust, build that rapport. So your personal ethos, even going back to when you were in middle school, it's almost like, how you lived your life and the impact you wanted to make. And you, you, you said earlier you chose social services because you wanted to help your community in the best way possible. So then what I'm hearing you say through this approach and through in serving families, mm-hmm. again, it's just like your personal why fell right up under the why of the organization itself, and that's why you're attracted to it. That's correct. Is that my fair? Wife, my why falls right up under there. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives and help them live you know, in their community and be successful. All right. Just curious, being around all these states, your career, when you think about the organization itself that you're a part of, how hard is it to do this work and to pull it off and to do it in an excellent way? I ain't going to lie to you. It's hard work. It's hard work. But what I like about here at Youth Villages, you have support. Like my supervisor leadership from to my regional manager all the way to my director Everybody is there to support you, and everybody's always telling you, you know, find balance, take care of yourself, and they're willing to step in and help you. Like when there's a really tough, tough case and stuff like that, you've got people to bounce stuff off of. And I like the fact that even our CEO is like in the trenches too, because you don't find that a lot. No, ma'am, you don't. And and so you know, you even got a CEO who's in the trenches and and will just do whatever it takes to move this organization forward. And I like that. I like that, that he's not just sitting up here in the office and you can have no access to him, no nothing. But if, if you want to talk to Pat, you can pick up the phone calling, you know. It's all about the child. It's mm-hmm. all about the family. Mm-hmm. And he is so passionate. And because he's so passionate, it makes other people passionate. And that's what I like about it. Yes, ma'am. It's very impressive. The whole team. Mm-hmm. What do you think your parents would say? They would say they're very proud of me. I just know they would. Do you ever think about it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they got to experience some of my 
career before they both, uh, well, my dad lived to be 97 and just passed away last uh, December. And so my mother passed away at 65. But uh, she wasn't a social worker. She didn't get a degree, but she was a social worker. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And, and, social uh, worker at heart. Yes, yeah, she was. She was. She would go up to Walmart, you know, like the Walmart greeters, and she would greet people that come in, and she that want to know how they're doing today, and if they weren't doing so well, if they were going through something, she was going to pull them to the side and talk to them about it. And it's so everybody in the town knew her. She had an incredible heart. She did. She did. She did. And so I can know they're both smiling down on me. You think this has left an impact with your children? Oh, yeah. And your grandkids? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. that like to think about the impact your parents left to you and then think about this life and the way you talked about your husband and then think about what your kids have seen and your grandkids have seen? And, and the reason I know it, it impacts them because my daughter, she's actually going to school now. Well, she's, she thought she wanted to be a, a speech therapist, but now she's second-guessing and thinking, Maybe I should go into, well, she, now she's talking about uh, psychology and, and that type of field because she took some classes, loved them. And because what she's seen when I was working foster care, she has one of those big hearts too. And I don't know what it is. People always find her when they're going through some things and want to process it with her. And so she says, maybe that's my sign. I hear you. What do you want most for your career right now in the future? I just want uh, to leave an impact on some family or child to know that they're not forgotten and they're going to always be important to somebody. You're doing it. Mm-hmm. What about for youth villages? What do you want most for youth villages? For youth villages, I want them to continue the path that they're on and impacting as many young people. And, and I like the fact that now they've even gone over to those kids that were just kind of left, like with my allies, kids that come through the court system, those families and kids who had just kind of been shoved to detention centers and not trying to help the family, and then they get out and just revolving door because they are never taught any other behaviors. I want you villages to continue reaching out, seeking out, researching where gaps are, where families and kids may fall, that youth villages can, with their resources, continue to research that type of stuff so that they can put the programs in that need to be there. Yes, ma'am. So what I'm hearing you say is Youth Villages is very persistent and focused on always trying to find the needs and the gaps and the opportunity to take care of each child, each family. And that's what one of the things you love about it. And that's one of the things that you hope that continues. That's correct. Last question I got. Any advice that you haven't shared to somebody that is passionate the way that you are, that loves this work and loves making an impact the way that you have your family don't let yourself get burnt out. Always find outlets, whether it be through your higher power, through exercise, eating right, whatever it takes for that person. And I would advise them to go in with an open heart, with a loving heart, caring, and always remember those families need somebody to be an advocate for them and to speak up for them. And you can be that advocate, but you have to be willing and able. It's been a true privilege to be with you this afternoon. You're an incredible person and this is incredible work. It's an honor to do it. Thank you. From Youth Villages, I'd like to say thank you for listening to this episode of Stronger Than You Think. And thank you, Mary Byers, for sharing your story with us. For more information about careers with Youth Villages, visit www.youthvillages.org. 
That's youthvillages.org. We have also included resources in the show notes where you can find out more information about our programs. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to support the show, the best thing you can do is recommend it to a friend. Maybe share it with someone who you think might need it right now or is looking for their next career move. On behalf of Youth Villages, my name is Sam Coates, and I'm reminding you that you are stronger than you think. Before we go, here's a sneak peek at what's to come on our next episode with Youth Village's own Whitney Malone. We'll see you back here then. If you don't dive into the why or valuing this kid or caring for this kid, it's easy that they can get sit in your program for one year, then two years, then three years, then four years. And so if you don't care about their ability to go be successful or to transition to the next stage of their life, we're going to have stagnant kids. They're going to be sitting in our programs. They're not going to be successful. If you don't care about our kids, they're going to discharge and do whatever it is that thing is that got him here. They're going to come back. And so our success is contingent upon their ability to stay in the community, not come back to these villages.